and gentlemen, boys and girls, sports fans around the world, we are back once again with another episode of Run the Point. You should all know by now, I'm Rob, coming at you from Jersey, East Coast. On the other side of the U.S. of A., we've got Aaron. What's up, Aaron? What's going on, Rob? Checking in from the Bay. It's lovely out here. It's finally spring. Uh, we don't know what that is over here on the East Coast, but you know, someday, Y'all someday we'll getting, see the light. Getting beat up by some oh, more my. No races are over, but it's still, still, still pretty chilly out here. Still pretty chilly. All right, let's uh, let's get right into it. We're going to talk about um, college basketball and uh, kids who leave school early and the impact on college basketball itself and that of the NBA. Uh, talk a little bit about about golf and who Aaron I think is going to make a push to perhaps win the Masters, and then we'll get into a preview of the upcoming Major League Baseball season. Aaron, college basketball, one and done, big-time schools, lots of turnover. What do you have? So, for me, I enjoy it. I think, for me, like, one of the biggest things about it is it's like, Essentially, the, these kids have no option because the NCAA has, like, you know, basically treating these kids as unpaid amateurs. But that's a whole other topic. But I think for me, it kind of, A, like, now with the big schools getting in, like, you know, now it's parity all across to, you know, where before it's kind of like when everyone was staying in, you know, they basically just all went to the big schools. So every year it was the same thing. It was always the Dukes. It was always the Carolinas. It was always, you know, these top schools that were in the tournament just because they always got the top talent. Now it gives schools like VCU, Loyola, Chicago, Dunk City, Lob City, you know, Florida Gulf Coast. It gives these teams, you know, a shot, you know, to, to win it all. Um, I mean, even upsets like, with you and UMBC or whatever, who the hell they are, you know, taking off UVA, you know, <laughs> to me, it gives, you know, trace that purity gives these kids an option to where, okay, I know I'm going to go pro, you know, I don't necessarily need to go to these, you know, top schools, these elite schools. I can go somewhere closer and still have my shot, you know, to make it, you know, granted, if you go to, you know, everyone knows if you go to these now, these top schools, yeah, you're just going to get more time on ESPN, which, you know, could potentially help raise your draft stock. But, I mean, you see it all the time in the NBA. Some of the, you know, usually those guys that are always on the, you know, come from those top programs, they don't necessarily equal out to, uh, you know, being the next Kobe, the next LeBron, the next MJ. So, you know, I think these kids don't have an option. I think it gives, you know, create some parity uh, amongst the top by just doing that. And, um, you know, now everyone has a, somewhat of a shot to land someone. You never know where people are going to go. Hell, Zion Williams, they were saying, was possibly going to stay home and stay in South Carolina. Like, South Carolina is not known for basketball. Yeah, hell, yeah, they made a run last year. But before that, I mean, no one knew who they were. Those are some good points. Uh, but you got to you gotta give uh, the school that beat UVA a little more credit. I mean, you you come on, you got you can't just be like, oh, you know, the, those guys that knocked off the number one Virginia Cavaliers. No, you got you got to give them a little bit more notoriety than that. Hey, 
shout out to the um to the Golden Retrievers of UMCC. <laughs> I think that's or are they the Retrievers? I honestly don't know. I'm not trying to be funny, but hey. So I want to clear this up for the people that they are the retrievers, not the golden retrievers. Man, that, 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 would, that would not be a very uh, like aggressive and intimidating mascot. The golden retrievers, golden retrievers are such friendly and lovable dogs, uh, almost as bad as the, the New Orleans Pelicans. If I'm stepping on the hardwood and I'm playing the Pelicans, ah, that's not that's not going to intimidate me. Well, what's what's a Pelican going to do? But if I play the Timberwolves, I'm going to think twice. But <laughs> I want <laughs> I want to first uh, first respond to what you were saying about um, uh, schools more or less exploiting kids because obviously they're not getting paid. Um, I often bring this topic up among among friends of mine where um, I am all for down the line, perhaps college athletes being compensated. But remember, the NCAA is, is a whole entity of all the sports in the entire school. So if you're going to pay college basketball players and, say, college football players, you're going to have to pay the chess team, man. You're going to have to pay you know, the, the, the team. You're going to have to pay the swim team. You're going to have to pay track and field. You, you, I don't see a situation where they're just going to pay – one or perhaps two sports and call it a day. So I, I, I always circle back to circle back to that. But as you mentioned, that's neither here nor there. That's, that's not necessarily what we're discussing at the moment. Um, I agree with a lot of what you said regarding the these one and done uh, situations. Uh, I do think that that it's good for college basketball in general. Um, it, it obviously tends to happen at more of the, the big time programs. I don't think many of these kids at UMBC are going to be uh, one and done despite their recent success. I expect a lot of these kids to return to school and, and pursue whatever it is they're going to pursue next season. Um, but one thing that I want to bring up is these kids in schools like Kentucky and Kansas and Duke and North Carolina and so forth and so on, a lot of them probably have their eye on the NBA. So, of course – the college basketball season is right in front of them. The NCAA tournament is, is of great importance. I'm sure they all want to win a national championship. But at the end of the day, their eye is on the prize, as you mentioned, Aaron. They, they, they want to get that money. And, hey, I, I don't blame them. But on the contrary, kids in these smaller schools, perhaps they're, they're not really considering the NBA as an option. Um, now, of course, I say that with a grain of salt. When you, when you play a sport, especially when you make it to – to the collegiate level, and you're in a big-time sport such as basketball and or football, uh, hey, these kids' childhood dreams ought to play in NBA or the NFL or and, and what have you. So in the back of their minds, I'm sure that's obviously uh, a goal of theirs. But uh, in reality, you know, they, they, wanna, they probably want a successful collegiate career. They, they probably want to win a conference title or two and be successful in the NCAA tournament come, you know, come March Madness. So they're probably a little bit more focused on on uh, the season at hand and perhaps building uh, a lot of rapport with, with their teammates. Uh, sometimes I think the, the dedication is a little bit different in, in, in the kids of these schools versus the big-time programs. Um, what, do you, what do you think about perhaps, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, I'll, I'll call it effort, the, the effort of, of kids at Duke versus the effort of kids at UMBC or – 
a school such as that. Do, do you ever uh, you ever think about that, Aaron? I don't because prime example I would point out is look at the effort that the Duke players and Kansas players displayed in that Elite Eight game. You know, to me, it wasn't necessarily those guys, like, going out. Because for me, it's like they still got to put in that effort. Like, okay, their effort might not be, you know, solely focused on winning. You know, the, the reason behind their effort might be different, I guess. So let's say, you know, prime example, Marvin Bagley, the reason why he's playing so hard is, A, because he wants to win the game. But, two, he also knows he can't really go out there and suck it up on, you know, such a big stage because that's going to question his draft stock, you know. Now, if he still goes out there and gets, you know, 25 and 10 in a losing effort, yeah, I mean, he's kind of not going to be too sad about it because he's like, hey, at least I had a hell of a game and I got mine. And, you know, granted, I didn't win because I kind of look at that as, you know, Trey Young and the kid from Oklahoma, another guy, you know. He's probably the only kid on that Oklahoma team that has, you know, NBA potential. I think kind of the motives might, you know, I think are the same, but I just think the reasoning behind it are a little bit different just from the aspect of, like, those guys are still going to put forth effort because they still got to perform. They just can't say, well, you know, ah, I'm not going to do this because, you know, it's going to potentially hurt their draft stock. You haven't got there yet, so you still have to prove that you're worth – you know, all the hype that you're getting. So, you know, I, I think I kind of get where you're going, but, you know, for me, I just think it's all the same just on that parallel because, you know, no one's trying to get all national TV and get embarrassed and, you know, and stuff like that and get put on a highlight reel. And also no one's trying to have their, you know, if I'm the potential overall number one pick, I'm not trying to go out there and do that. I mean, unless you're purposely tanking because you don't want to get drafted by the Cleveland Browns or something <laughs> like that. But, well, man, you know. man, why do you have to bring the why do you have to bring the Cleveland Browns into this, man? We're not even gonna we're not even talking football in this episode, and you're still dragging the Browns under the bus. Come on, man. <laughs> but, but but no, I, no. I, I, I hear I hear you. I agree, and, and we're on the same page. My, my point about effort was was where where that mentality is coming from. Of course, not not the literal word of effort itself. Obviously. Uh, Duke Duke players aren't going to go out there and just mail it in if they're in the you know the, the elite eight. So no, we're we're definitely definitely on the on the same page there. And yeah, people people don't want to get embarrassed on national TV. These guys don't want to get posterized. And speaking of posterized, why isn't that term used anymore? I, man, I, I remember back in the day, basketball posters, baseball posters, football posters. Do kids even have that nowadays? I don't even know. I have no idea. I would like to bring back the word posterized into everyday sports vocabulary. Uh, so back to the point, of course, um, I'm, I'm very much, so I, I would call myself a, a fan of college basketball, a fan of college football, of course, but I'm much more emotionally invested in specific teams when it comes to professional sports, because I, as a fan, definitely appreciate the value of, of building a core of, of players, teammates, building camaraderie, building that bond, having a good, good locker room, um, a, a coaching staff, building an offense 
defense system around certain players, tweaking that system year in and year out, which obviously is very difficult to do when uh, players play on a college basketball team for, for one year. Um, so this, of course, leads to a, a lot more parity than we may have seen in years past. Uh, a lot of a lot of smaller schools or mid-major programs are um, hanging with the with the big dogs, if you will. So I I definitely think that it's good for college basketball overall. Um, and I kind of want to see somewhat of a reformatting of the NCAA regular season. Uh, of course, there there's so many schools, Aaron. There's so many programs, a bunch of conferences. Uh, you know how how many how many teams can can play uh, teams from from X Y and Z conference in in you know such a short uh, regular season schedule, um, but I want to get your opinion on as we're kind of heading towards a little more parity with everything that we've discussed so far in this in this show, uh, how that may or may not translate into whether or not you think it's good for college basketball to to kind of kind of take a NCAA rather to kind of take a step back and and maybe maybe tweak the tweak the schedule a bit do you think that's a possibility in the future and and do you even think that's that's going to be good for for college basketball so i don't think they'll ever tweak the schedule i think what they should do is i mean because it's so the the whole thing the reason behind it is just because there's too much money involved but what i would like to see is like Instead of at the beginning of the year, you get all the top-heavy games, um, so to speak, so more so, you know, in all these preseason tournaments like the Maui Invitational and stuff like this, I would like to see kind of some equal. So maybe you get a Duke and a Kansas, but then maybe you also get like, you know, a LSU and, you know, a Florida or someone else, um, you know, or maybe a Gonzaga, um, and kind of get some of these mid-majors into some of these bigger tournaments, and I think that would create um, a lot more interest and a lot more kind of, you know, step in the right direction because, you know, from, you know, for Duke, that's also kind of a resume enhancer is, you know, beating a, a Gonzaga if they have a struggling year or, or something, but you know, that they always load up with the cupcake used because they play in the ACC and it's the, um, you know, probably the toughest conference in college basketball for them to, you know, get to. Um, so, you know, I would kind of like to see more of that um, rather than the, you know, the Maui Invitational is Duke, Kansas, Michigan State, and Kentucky, you know, and it's kind of like, and then, you know, we'll throw in, you know, Shamanad in Hawaii. It's kind of like, <laughs> okay, cool, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> but I think creating more parity amongst those, those inter- and then for us too, as a fan, you can kind of that puts those schools on the map. So it's kind of like come tournament sure. time, I know who you are. Um, yep. And it kind of helps me get a better feeling from the team instead of seeing them play in you know their conference final game and just say, okay, well they look good in the conference final against you know. Uh, the American, you know, conference. So they look good when they beat, you know, uh, you know, William and Mary. So, uh, you know, this, this Richmond Spiders team looks pretty decent. 
<laughs> you know, as a 15 seed, maybe they can knock somebody off. Um, you know. Yeah, I, I so, think I, mean, me, I think that's a. I was just going to say, I think that's, I think that is, is a good solution. Um, uh, you, you obviously can't, can't make major changes to, to the schedule because there's so many moving parts. You mentioned the, the financial aspect of it. Um, but, but yeah, just, just having, having, uh, having these mid-major programs into some of these, some of these sort of preseason Maui invitational type type tournaments would definitely put these teams on the map, would definitely increase their notoriety. And hey, it may, it may put schools such as Duke unnoticed. You know, hey, oh, wow, you know, uh, Richmond gave us a run for our money. You know, we, we can't overlook them. It's definitely, I think it's definitely good for, for college basketball uh, overall. You want to touch a little bit on uh, whether or not you think this has any sort of a profound impact on, on the NBA? Uh, if, if you think just this flood of, of, of freshmen coming out of college basketball entering the NBA draft um, is either a pro or a con from the general crop of uh, NBA talent and NBA youth, for that matter? So I think the thing with the NBA is they have a ton of youth. But I think <clears throat> what you find is – so I, I was having a conversation. I always bring this kid up because, you know, I think he's the perfect example. Um so I look at a kid like um, Quinn Cook. So Quinn Cook went to Duke. He was part of that Duke national title team with Jalil Okafor and all those guys. And Quinn Cook was good at Duke. He was not ready to go make the jump. <clears throat> but he did. And he spent two years down in the G League <clears throat> of the NBA, and now he's, you know, the starting point guard for the Warriors, obviously, because uh, Steph's out. And he's, and he's held his own. But also think was kind of like, you know, he probably made the jump because of the money. Um, you know, granted, he could have stayed at Duke and, you know, been a junior this year, and, you know, maybe that would have helped this Duke team, um, you know, overcome some challenges or whatever. But to me, it's also kind of like I think some of these kids are ready, but I don't think all of them are. Um and I like the the NBA was developing the G League and using that. Um, but I also just think sometimes it's like we look and rate these players way too high, and it's like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then it's kind of like, no, just take a step back. Like my thing with Lonzo is like Lonzo Ball. He's talented, but he's not going to be the transcending player that everyone's hyping him up to be. I'm sorry. Like I think at the end of the day he'll be – the top 10 point guard in the NBA. You'll look at him and you'll say, okay, he's like a Bradley Beal, you know. He's not a, oh, my God, I'm writing this guy in for MVP, or, oh, my God, I I need this guy to win a title. But he's like, he's a piece. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a solid guy who you can count on, but you're also not saying he's my franchise guy who's going to, take the realms after, you know, this team leaves. It's like, no, he's an important aspect, but he's not, you know, he's also not Kevin Durant, you know. I think that Patrick Beverly would have a lot to say about Lonzo Ball. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but not, so Lonzo Ball was picked number two overall. Um, and I, I, re, I really like where you went there, and I want to kind of expand on that a little bit. Um, so to going, transitioning from uh, – college basketball one and done to the NBA. Um, 
when you look at, at let's take the NFL for example. I mean, how many NFL rookies are expected to get paid to do so and actually do have a huge impact on, on their on their team in year one, year two, hey, even into year three? Uh, a lot, a good portion of those first round draft picks. Whereas in the NBA, I, I know I know we're talking about uh, you know a 53-man roster versus, you know, a, a 12 to 15-man roster in the NBA. So I understand the, you know, the, the disparities there, but I just, I just feel like the, the NBA rookie expectation is a little bit too high. As you mentioned, there aren't as many rookies who are extremely impactful in year one. It, it, it takes them a few years. Uh, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. But the, the NBA is definitely a uh, a win now league. It's a what have you done for me lately league. It's it's very appealing to the fans. It's it's it's, it's very exciting. You know, obviously the 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 style of play is much much different now versus back in the '90s as far as uh, weighed heavily towards towards offense and so forth and so on. I'm not going to get into that. Um, it, it takes time for these kids to to, to develop. I mean, the, the pro game versus college game in basketball is is vastly different. I'm not going to make you know football comparisons uh, now. Um, but I also feel like it takes, you know, it takes some time for NBA teams to really build something organically and, and bringing in the, it's not going to create a good team environment in, in year one, year two, more often than not. Obviously you, you have NBA rookies who, who are, extremely good and, and are, are talented in gel and perform well in the NBA right away, but it, you just don't see it as often as in other sports. Um, let's talk about golf. Let's talk. We got the, we got the, the Masters looming. Is that right? That is it. The greatest, there's a, a, not another, uh, you know, not another sporting event like it. I will definitely say that. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give a quick little spiel on uh, a certain, certain someone, uh, and then Aaron can, can chime in with this sport of golf. Um, I subscribe to ESPN, the, the magazine. Uh, I have for years. I enjoy it. And they just released their 20th anniversary edition. And lo and behold, on the cover of that ESPN magazine is Tiger Woods, which brings me to the only golf point that I wish to make this evening is that I do feel like Tiger is back for a few reasons in which I'll outline. For one, for the first time in several years, this man is healthy. Golf at its very core, is an old man's game. Uh, you can play this thing into your 60s, 70s. Tiger Woods is, I believe, 42 years old. So um, definitely a lot, of, a lot of years left if he remains healthy. Uh, Tiger Woods has been through a lot professionally and personally. He's probably one of the most mentally tough athletes in the history of sports. Uh, when you get to professional sports, everyone's good, everyone's talented. So I, so I, I like to look at the intangibles. I mean, Tiger Woods definitely has a lot of intangibles that perhaps other golfers don't, which I believe stems from 
what he's been through throughout his career and his life for that matter. This guy's played a ton of golf. If anybody knows the golf courses of these major tournaments, it's Tiger Woods. Definitely, definitely should be on a crash course for redemption and to rebuild his image. I mean, he was once the top athlete in the world. This guy had his own video game, his own clothing line. I mean, you're talking about being at the top of the world, going to the going to rock bottom real quick. So, man, that's, that's got to drive him. That's, that's got to drive him more than any external factor drives any other athlete in the world. I feel like his road to redemption is more profound than any of any other athlete ever. And hey, he's chasing Jack Nicklaus, who's got 18 major titles, and Tiger himself has 14. Tiger. This, this is the year of Tiger. <laughs> so, I agree. I do not think Tiger is going to win the Masters. I think everything you said, I, I think this is we're now starting to see the Tiger that we will see. I don't think he's going to get any better. I think he might win a tournament. I don't see him winning another major, um, maybe one, maybe one more, um, maybe like a U.S. Open or something. I, you know, I don't see him winning a British Open or maybe like the Masters or anything. I, just me personally. Um, but he does have years of experience. The guy is, we all know when he's on, he's on. Um, and he's probably one of the most exciting golfers to watch um, when he's on. So, you know, I, I like it. I think it's great for golf. You know, you take, the excitement of having Tiger back, you add it in with the young guy of Steve and Rory. Um, you know, I, I think in Jason Day and Ricky Fowler, I think it makes it um, it makes it interesting. It makes it intriguing. Um, you know, it kind of it brings some excitement to the game um, from a fan standpoint because you just you know not a lot of people can um, you know resonate with like a, a Bubba Watson or a Phil Mickelson. Uh, young guys like me kind of, you know, you respect him, but, um, you know, you're kind of like, hey, you know, that's, he's a legend. But, you know, also at the same time, it's kind of like when I'm watching, I'm watching because I want to watch Jordan or I want to watch Dustin Johnson. It's not because, you know, I want to see Phil. It's like, all right, cool. I've seen Phil plenty. So my personal take. Um, but I think, you know, kind of for the odds to win the Masters right now, actually Tiger is the favorite in Vegas at 9-1 to one odds. Uh, then you got Dustin Johnson, Justin Thomas, and Roy McElmore at ten to one. Steve at fourteen to one. Phil Mickelson's at sixteen to one. Jason Day's at sixteen to one, and Ricky Fowler is at eighteen to one. So, I actually think my prediction for Tiger is I actually think he makes the cut. Um, he'll be playing on Sunday. I think he'll finish. He'll finish in the top twenty-five, um, but I don't think he'll make the leaderboard um, or finish on the leaderboard. So, overall, I think, you know, my prediction just straight off of not knowing uh, my favorites to win, I would actually probably say I go Ricky Fowler, Hideki Matsuama. I uh, hope I said his name right. And then on that limb, I throw Jordan to go back to win it again. Those would kind of be my, my three picks. If I had to make them, throw some money down, 
let it ride um, and see what happens. Tiger Woods cannot wait to prove you wrong. Is all I'm going to say. <laughs> the dude's a competitor, man. He can flat out uh, play some golf, like I said, when he's on. So um, it wouldn't surprise me, but I just don't see it happening. So, uh, man, has has there been a more more polarizing athlete in in our in our lifetime than than Tiger Woods? I mean, <laughs> the highs of the highs no, and the I mean, lows of the lows. For me, that's the sole reason of how I like. I can only other say the people who I could compare Tiger to is probably Venus and Serena. Um, more so with people who've taken sports that are lesser known and have transcended them to where average people to where it's like, I remember growing up, my parents were never golfers, but they would at least check to see kind of where Tiger was. And if Tiger was in contention, they would watch. Like solely just to cheer more, have zero clue of whatever's happening, but they would, just yell and scream at the TV. Same thing for, you know, tennis. Like when Venus or Serena jumped on the scene with the braids and all the beads in their hair and all that stuff, it just kind of gave everyone hope. I mean, you see it every now and then with the Olympics. You know, you'll see the gymnastics team or you'll see the swimmers and it's kind of like, you know, but those are kind of once in a, you know, once every four years that you see that. And I think it's just more so because of that more so because it's like, you know, they're cheering on, you know, they're from your country to where it's like, you know, you look at the story of Tiger, you look at the story of Venus and Serena, and it kind of gives hope to a lot of people to say, oh, look, like, I can, you know, they came from Compton and became international tennis stars. Like, there is hope for me. And, you know, you look at Tiger, you know, he basically grew up in, you know, military family in a broken home, but, you know, he's transcended himself and, made mistakes, but it's also kind of like a good bounce back story. It's like, you know, we all make mistakes. We can all bounce back and, you know, use this as a learning yes. experience. Yes, indeed. Cue Bob Marley's redemption song. All right. <laughs> we're we're going we're, we're gonna, to we're gonna finish, with, with, finish with this golf talk because we got to get to baseball. Baseball regular season starts in two days. So Aaron and I are going to give you a preview. We're going to run through each, each division, AL, NL. Uh, give our projected winners of those divisions and some reasons why. Predict the wild card. Predict the AL and NL MVP. Um, n- name one or two things that we're really looking forward to in regards to this season in general. Uh, our World Series picks, and that should take us to the end of the show. So, without further ado, let's start with the AL East, the American League East. Who's going to win it and why? Uh. So my pick to win the AL East, the freaking New York Yankees. I absolutely yes, hate. Yeah, loud and proud. Loud and proud. <laughs> I absolutely hate the Yankees. And I will tell you the reason why I hate the Yankees is because of this. In my opinion, I get it, whatever. They go out and they buy championships, essentially. They just pay players ridiculous amount of money. They join the team, and then they just build all-star teams. Um and I hate it. It's annoying to me, but at the end of the day, it is what it is. Uh, but I just think with their lineup, I don't see Boston. I don't see anyone else competing with them. I mean, the only thing is, is like their offensive lineup is ridiculous. Their pitching sucks. I wouldn't say sucks. I, I would take that back. Their pitching is okay. So, 
I mean, if you can, I mean, if it's one of those things, do you just really want to get in an offensive slugfest with them? <laughs> I mean, and take your chances, then okay. Um, but, you know, that's just kind of my thing is their starting pitching is not the best. Um, you know, their bullpen's okay. I mean, outside of Chapman, I think, you know, the rest of the guys are not, you know, no one to fear, um, so to speak. So, you know, that's just kind of my take. I just think barring any drastic injuries or anything else that happens, um, I just think the Yankees take it. Well, I'm going to have to strongly agree with your pick of the ALE winner because let it be known to the world that I'm a New York Yankee fan. Um, and I'll give a, give a few reasons why. Um, they bring in the reigning MVP, Giancarlo Stanton, formerly known as Mike Stanton, whom they traded for. They did not buy, I, I, will, I will add, to join forces with the reigning rookie of the year, Aaron Judge, adding his offensive firepower to an already potent offense is extremely exciting, and it's going to give opposing pitchers and opposing teams nightmares. Also, you mentioned Chapman being a, a strong piece of the bullpen, uh, I'm, and the rest of the bullpen being okay. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna very politely disagree with you, in which Chapman actually struggled a bit last year, and they have four main guys in that bullpen, and uh, I'm. As I mentioned, the Yankees are my favorite team, so I've got a lot more knowledge on them compared to the other, all other teams in baseball. So I'm going to sound off for a good few minutes here. Chapman, Robertson, Canley, and Betances. Those four guys uh, are collectively the four best bullpen pieces of any team in baseball, collectively. They, they all throw hard, with the exception of, of Robertson. Chapman throws heat, Canley, Betances. Those guys can get upper 90s. And Chapman has hit triple digits in the past, and he will continue to do so. So what that does is it shortens the games. You mentioned the starting rotation being one of their main weaknesses, and you're 100% right it is. But with a dominant bullpen and with four guys who are relatively interchangeable, in the past uh, different guys have been closing pitchers um, throughout the course of the season based on health and based on, uh, based on performance. So there's a, those are four relatively interchangeable guys towards the back end of your bullpen that, as I said, shortens games. So these starting pitchers only have to throw five, six innings a game. That is a huge, huge asset for a major league team because we're talking about a 162-game season. That's a lot of games, man. Um, but the rotation isn't as bad as many people think. Their, their, their front three are – are pretty good. You got Luis Severino, who's a very good young up and coming pitcher who is projected to be the ace of the Yankees. You've got Masahiro Tanaka, who was formerly the ace of the Yankees. You got Sonny Gray, who they brought over from the uh, the Oakland A's. Um, he, he struggled a bit last year, but if he can return to the form of his earlier days in Oakland, you know, he, he, can, he can definitely be a very, very good number three. And then number four. This guy just keeps on coming back like Bartolo Colon, C.C. Karsten Charles Sabathia. He's I just like watching that guy pitch. Uh, and then, last but not least, the Yankees have one of the most talented and deepest farm systems in all of baseball. So, the New York Yankees. 
American League Central. Who's who's taking the AL Central? Uh, I would have to say I'm going to go. I can't pick Cleveland. I think they'll probably do it, but I just hate the city of Cleveland too. Um, <laughs> and I don't, you know, I'm I'm actually going to say Kansas Ed. City. They probably aren't going to win it. I don't know anything about the Kansas City Royals, but. I was there when they went to the World Series. I lived in Kansas City at the point in time, or I should say I lived in Kansas. Um, and so I'm going Kansas City solely for that. <laughs> All right. Hey, hey, hey. You know, we, we don't we don't have – we don't. you can just keep things simple. It's okay, brother. Um, I am going to go with those Cleveland Indians um, who uh, lost to the Yankees in the playoffs last year. Um the rest of that division, AL, the AL Central, it's not good. I, so you mentioned the Royals, and, and um, two years ago they were a very good team. Last year they, they had their ups and downs, but they, they're they're definitely trending downward rather than upward. Um, but you know, wouldn't surprise me if they're competitive. But for now, I'm going to put them as I mentioned, the team trending downward. So the Royals, the, the White Sox. No, the Tigers. No, the Twins. Eh, it's just not a very competitive division. Uh, and the Cleveland Indians have won more games since 2016 than any other team in all of baseball. So they've they've been the epitome of hot. Um, and their shortstop Francisco Lindor and their ace Corey Kluber are two of the best in the game at their uh, respective positions. Um, and I mentioned their regular season success and. They have recent uh, playoff experience, which puts them a, a notch above the whole remainder of that division, with the exception of the, the Royals, who recently won the World Series. So Cleveland Indians, Cleveland Rocks, the American League West, who's taking it in, home in the wild, wild west, Aaron? Uh, I'm going with the Houston Astros. Houston strong. Uh, go Astros. <laughs> That is that is some in depth baseball analysis right there, folks. <laughs> hey, the, the Houston Astros. Heard of Deshaun Watson? It's gonna it's gonna light a fire under the Astros, um, and the Astros will win the div- division. I uh, <laughs> I agree with you on the Houston Astros being the 2018. American West, American League West Division champions. Uh, they have a really, really good uh, starting rotation. Um, they got Dallas Keuchel. Um, they've got Verlander. Um, they added a guy from the Pittsburgh Pirates, Cole Garrett Cole. Maybe it's Jared Cole. We're going to call him Garrett Cole. I apologize, Mr. Cole, if I'm pronouncing your name wrong. I don't know how this G is supposed to be pronounced uh but he he's he would be an ace on a lot of major league teams and he's coming in there to be number two maybe number three guy on the in the houston astros rotation uh another guy his name i'll throw out there lance mccullers uh he's he's a he's a young starting pitcher in that rotation who has a, a lot of potential um so by adding cole they added a strength to a strength and they're already the the reigning World Series champions. Uh, despite his stature, Jose Altuve is going to be an MVP candidate. 
Um, and when you talk about, we, Aaron, you and I have talked a lot about basketball big threes. I'm going to give you a baseball big three. Jose Altuve, Carlos Correa, George Springer. Those three guys offensively are pro- probably one of the best, if not the best, core three offensive players who are, you know, who are uh, under 30. I would have to check Altuve's age, but I believe they're all under 30. If they can keep these, these guys together, they're going to be a force to reckon with for, for years to come. So Houston Astros, reigning champs, winning the AL West. Now we have to pick two wild card teams in the AL. Which two teams are going to sneak into the playoffs? I'm going with my Boston Red Sox solely because they'll be playing in October. Tom Brady usually gets hot in October. They'll light the city of Boston on fire. Red Sox will beat the Yankees in the playoffs. Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> All right. So, so I'm gonna my, my two wild card picks from the AL are the Red Sox due to their high powered lineup offensively, uh, and also the Angels because Mike Trout is an excellent baseball player. Mike Trout is about to have a season for the ages, ladies and gentlemen. Watch out. Mike Trout will battle for the Triple Crown, and the Angels hopefully can keep up with their superstar, who's from the state of New Jersey, by the way. All right, so that, that, that wraps up the American League. Let's go on to the National League. We'll start with the National League East. Aaron, who's going to win that division? The Atlanta Braves, my favorite <laughs> baseball team. <laughs> Oh, man. I want to hear why. <laughs> Solely because they're my favorite baseball team. <laughs> okay. Hey. It's all right. It's all right. John Smoltz, Chipper Jones, Greg Maddox have all gone to Wakanda, have gotten, I don't even know what's the stuff, the purple stuff from Wakanda, and they're reliving their heyday, and the Braves are going back on top in the NLE East. Oh my goodness! Well, you know the uranium. Stranger things. That's what it is. The uranium. <laughs> Stranger things have happened, and you probably will not hear a Black Panther reference uh, <laughs> among a Major League Baseball season preview on any other sports podcast, ladies and gentlemen. So, way to go, Aaron! <laughs> I'm going to go with the Washington Nationals. Um, Bryce Harper, MVP candidate, one of the best players in baseball. Uh, he's put together a couple of really, really, really exceptional seasons. Um, they got a really strong top two in their rotation in Strasburg and Scherzer. I mean, Strasburg has a fairly extensive injury history, but if he can stay healthy, that is as good as a one-two punch as it could get in all of baseball. Um, you had offensive firepower like Zimmerman and Rendon, so that are Bryce Harper. And you've got, you know, another big three, if you will. Um, There's also a strong lack of competition in this division as well. All teams are rebuilding except except for the Mets. I would argue that the Marlins, Braves, and Phillies are all somewhat rebuilding. And 
they've won four of six, four of the last six NL East titles, although they've never advanced past the divisional rounds of the playoffs. So perhaps this is the year that things click and they not only win the division, but perhaps make it a little, little further than, than years past. The National League Central. Who's taking it home in the middle of the country? So we are waving the white flag, saying, go, Cubs, go. Go, Cubs, go. <laughs> hey, Chicago, what do you say? Cubs going to win today. Solely for. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, Jason Hayward, who was a former Atlanta Braves, actually went to Wakanda too, grabbed some vibranium with the other guys, and he gave it to Javi Baez, and so they're both on it. So the Cubs are waving the white flag, and they're getting hot, and they're going back. Oh, my goodness. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have our first guest caller of Run the Point 2018, Tim. What's What's going on, Tim, gentlemen? Tim, are you there? Tim, Tim, welcome, welcome to Run the Point. We're glad to have you here. Man, so, so we're we're, ta- we're talking baseball. We're talking our projected division winners. Um, you caught us right in the middle of of our National League chat, but uh, let's take it back to the AL, Tim. AL East, West, and Central. Just just real quick, who do you have and why? Well, listen. First of all. I just joined this conversation, and we're talking about the Cubs going to Wakanda. And I don't know what kind of show I just joined. But uh, (laughs) I don't know if I'm on the right show. But either way, we'll talk about the American League. Um, Listen, Rob, your Yankees, I mean, how how could you go against them with the lineup that they've put together, picking up Stanton, Judge, still there, clearly. I mean, their rotation has gotten better. Severino is good. But Boston and New York are going to be fun to watch. So I got to go with the Yankees. I got to go with your Yankees as much as it pains me because I believe the Braves are going to win the World Series every year. But I can't take you Braves. I can't take you I can't take you Braves fans. Oh my goodness. Hey, right, what, what, what about us, the AL, I, I, What about the AL Central? The AL Central, I think I like the Indians. You think you like the Indians? I mean, do you think you like them or do you like them? You know, it's such a tough it's such a tough <laughs> division. I just think I just think that the pitching that they have consistently every year with Carrasco and, and those guys, I, I think I think they're gonna win. I think they're always there. They're a team that seems to just sneak up on you. Francisco Lindor, one of the best shortstops in the game. Jason Kipnis is Jason Kipnis. He's going to do what he always does. Michael Brantley, who knows? That guy could come out and bat 340, and nobody would be surprised if he's healthy. So they have a solid, consistent team, but it's always a team that you don't really think about until they're 10 games up in that division because everybody else is sorry. So I'm going to go with the Indians. It is It is a weak division. It's a a very weak division, so I, I definitely feed into to that that point. Uh, what, what about the the uh, the AL West? Come on, man! It's it's the Angels. It's the what? Angels. Maybe that's a surprise. 
maybe that's a surprise, but this is the year where Mike Trout, the best player on planet Earth and any planet playing baseball that may be out there, Mike Trout takes the Angels to the playoffs. Not a wild card team. Not they're winning that division. And and I'm not. It's it's no other reason than Mike Trout. Okay. All right. Well, I I, I pegged the Angels as uh, one of the two wild card teams for that that very reason. Um, the uh, the N N L East. So we're obviously. Switching uh, switching leagues here. The NL East. Well, if you're going to say the Braves are going to win the World Series, you're probably going to say the Braves are going to win the NL East, right? No, um, that clearly I can't say that. That was just a joke. If, if I'm going to be a, a non-biased sportscaster here, um, sh- shameless plug for Stats Don't Lie. That's my podcast. Y'all check it out. Um. I got to go with the Nationals, man. I got to go with the Nationals. There's nobody in that division, I don't think, right now with Miami selling the way that they've sold with Derek Jeter at the head of that uh, short sale, I guess we'll call it. Um, The Mets, I don't believe in the Mets. I know they've done some things in the offseason, but I think they're highly, highly overrated. Um, The Braves are not there yet. I still think we're probably – Two to three years away, we have one of the best farm systems in baseball, which doesn't help anything when it comes to making the playoffs. So I got to go with the Nationals. I think they're going to run away with the division again. Their pitching is super strong. Their lineup is great. Bryce Harper is one of the best players in the game when he's healthy. Daniel Murphy, um, Zimmerman is Zimmerman, and he's going to be consistent. I got to go with the Nationals. I agree with you on that. Uh, so so now, now we're going to pick up where we left off. Now that Tim, you are caught up with Aaron and myself. I was all about to give up. my take on the all caught up. I was about to give my take on the NL Central. I'm I'm taking those Chicago Cubs. Well, man, did they have a hot second half of 2017? I think they're going to continue that. They've kept their their young offensive core together despite losing Jake Arrieta. I mean, you talk about power. Talk about power and and relatively young power. Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Kyle Schwarber, Javier Baez, Wilson Contreras, Jason Hayward, if Hayward even sees the field, the former Brave, I might add. That is some power that that lineup is throwing at you. You had you Darvish in the mix, uh, Jose Quintana is coming back. Um, and, of course, there were the champs in 2016. They made it to the NLCS in 2017. Uh, I, I think, I think that the, Cubs, the Cubs keep on rolling. What say, what say you, Tim? Listen, man, I'm I'm with you. I'm a huge fan of the Cubs. I love Chris Bryant. I think Chris Bryant and Mike Trout are the future of this league. Um, they're one A and one B. And uh but I think you forgot probably their best pitcher. And it's not you Darvish, it's not John Lester, it's Hendricks. I believe their best pitcher is Hendricks. And uh, I know, uh, from what I understand, we'll talk about some MVPs and Cy Youngs a little later. And his name might come up again. Um, just keep an eye out for him. I think he's their best pitcher. He's he, he's their secret weapon. And uh, I think he's going to lead them to one of the better records in the National League. I I agree. I agree. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to talk about the last division before we get into uh, uh, MVP picks and World Series picks. Aaron, the NL West. Uh, who are you taking in the NOS? So I'm going with the Los Angeles Dodgers. All right. Solely because Clayton Kershaw has amazing hair, and I think it fits the LA vibe. <laughs> and also, 
they have Matt Kemp, who was there, went to Atlanta, got on that uh, vibranium in Wakanda, and then went back to the Dodgers. So he's bringing the good Braves Are we on this again? back to the Dodgers, and then there we go. <laughs> oh, man. So, so I do agree with the Dodgers. Um, I do think the return of Matt Kemp is going to be good for the clubhouse. I think it's it's a team that's lost a lot of their depth going into 2018. So bringing in a guy like Matt Kemp can kind of help offset some of that. Um, they they obviously lost the World Series, so they're in the thick of things in 2017. Uh, they've won five straight NL West titles. Uh, Cody Bellinger and Corey Seager are two of the best done players in the game. Kershaw is arguably the best pitcher in all of baseball. So Dodgers. Tim, who you got? Oh my goodness, fellas, fellas. What's today's date? The 26th? 27th. The 27th. Mark it down. The 27th. The Arizona Diamondbacks are winning this division. The okay. Arizona uh, Diamondbacks okay. are winning this division. I think I like Paul them. Goldschmidt I like them has a, lot. A, a monster year. I think their pitching staff is super underrated. Taiwan Walker is going to come into his own this year. He's going to win – 15 games, I think, for this team. I know that's a that's that that's kind of an out there predicament or a uh, projection, but I think uh, I think he's capable of doing that. And then their secret weapon, their center fielder, Pollock. You you must man, you must be looking at my notes over here because I don't have I'm the just, Diamondbacks winning the division. <laughs> I don't win the division, but I have them as a wild card team. And I specifically wanted to reference Taiwan Walker. He is he is the dark horse. He is the secret weapon. You add him to to, to Robbie Robbie Ray, Patrick Corbin. Granky's hurt right now, but he but he will be back eventually. Um, and also Listen. that includes Goldschmidt, Lamb, and Pollock. The the, the Diamondbacks are going to be ser- serious team to, to to mess with, but I don't I don't think they're gonna. I think they're I think they're they're more of a more of a wild card team. Listen, listen, the Dodgers. I love the Dodgers. I love the Dodgers, but. What are there, six or seven starters that are under 27 years old? They're all great. Seager is great. I love Puig, right? I love the way he plays the game. I just think in Arizona they have ball players. They know how to play. They know how to win games. They grind it out for nine innings, and they're going to beat you down during the regular season. That's why I, I think if it comes down to it and they play each other in the playoffs, clearly Kershaw, that pitching staff, has the advantage, I think. Um, but then again, I love me some A.J. Pollock. Watch out for this guy. Before he got hurt last year, basically for the year, he was one of the top center fielders in baseball, and I think he returns the form with Taiwan Walker, the rest of that pitching staff, Jake Lamb hitting 30 to 35 bombs. Watch out for this team. I, I, I do like the Diamondbacks. I do like the Diamondbacks. Fellas, we have, we have about four minutes left on the show, so I, I really quickly want to do a little bit of a, of a round-robin deal and just get our MVP picks and our World Series picks, and we'll, we'll wrap this up. And once again, Tim, I thank you for, for talking with us for a few minutes here regarding some baseball. Um, we'll, we'll, go, we'll go Aaron, Tim, then myself, uh, AL MVP. Go ahead. AL MVP, I'm going either Judge or Stanton, one of the two, my pick. All right. All right, Tim. Mike Trout, baby, home runs can't win the MVP alone. <laughs> Mike Trout does it all. All right, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Stan, reigning MVP, simply because he's never had the type of, of lineup protection as he will uh, with the New York Yankees. Uh, what about the the NL? Aaron, Tim, myself, Aaron, NL MVP. Who's it gonna be? 
Javi Baez, just because he's probably the best-looking guy in the NL. <laughs> Is he going to Wakanda too, man? <laughs> no, he got the vibranium from, uh, you know, from my boy Jason Hayward. He, he missed the trip. You know, he won't dark enough right, to get to right. Wakanda. <laughs> okay. Tim, who's going to win the NL MVP? What kind of show are y'all running? First of all, Javi Baez winning MVP because he's handsome. I don't understand what we're doing here. But Paul Goldschmidt is winning the MVP in the National League. I'm going to pick a triple crown threat in the name of Anthony Rizzo. I'm really a really big fan of the of the Chicago Cubs this year, and I think Anthony Rizzo is going to is going to fight for the triple crown and for that reason and that reason alone, Anthony Rizzo NL MVP. All right, World Series, World Series. Aaron, who is going to win the 2018 World Series? As much as it hurts me to say it, the freaking New York Yankees are going to win the World Series. It's, it's okay. You don't have to give any analysis. That, that, that was that was perfect. Sam, who's going to win the World Series? Rob, it, nothing's going to change. The New York Yankees are not winning the World Series. It's the Houston Astros. <laughs> They're winning the World Series. I'm telling you right now, y'all have absolutely no shot. The Astros are winning it back-to-back. Okay, okay. I, I, I hear you. Well, I'm, I hear you, but I don't know if I'm, I'm listening to you. But I, but I, I, hear, I hear words coming out of, out of your mouth. Uh, I, it should come up no surprise that I'm picking the New York Yankees. <clears throat> Excuse me. It should come up no surprise that I'm picking the New York Yankees. Uh, they took the uh, reigning – uh, champion Astros to seven games last year in the ALCS. Um, and they their lost. Rotation is health- and they lost, correct? But th- their rotation is, is healthy. Um, uh, Tanaka was previously dealing with, a, with, a, with some elbow issues. Uh, for what I, from what I understand, he, he's healthy. Um, they, they, add, they add Stanton, of course. That, that's that's the, their, their big ticket free agent. I'm sorry, big ticket trade they pulled off in the offseason. Um, they're replacing. Uh, the infielders that they lost in Chase Headley and Starling Castro with Brandon Drury and Neil Walker. Uh, I, I don't really have any concerns there. Their bullpen was a strength, will continue to be a strength. Their starters can remain restful over the course of a long season because they only have to throw five, six innings. And, hey, Aaron Boone's coming on board. He's a new manager. Perhaps he gets some beginner, beginner's luck. <laughs> Why not? We're New York Yankees, 2018 World Series champions. Any. Any uh, any reason to think otherwise? You just don't know baseball. <laughs> All right, well, <laughs> ladies, ladies and gentlemen, we are we are wrapping up this, this uh, edition of Run the Point. Thank you to Tim for joining the show. I'm Rob. Thank Over you guys for Aaron. having me. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We are out.